Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to the Bomb Squad Podcast, sponsored by Brappers. I'm your host, Ethan Hawker, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Austin Zwiebelman. Tim M. Sullivan. And a very special guest... Hi, Simon Burdick here. And today we're... Uh, sorry about that. Uh, something stuck in my throat. Uh, today we're talking about indie animator Don Hertzfeld's 2012 tragic comic feature debut, It's Such a Beautiful Day. An old man who smelled of gasoline held up an onion and said, Big onion, to no one in particular. He smiled at Bill and Bill looked at his socks. Don Hertzfeld, I'd imagine, like most people, has been a pretty uh, definitive influence on all of us. And I'm excited to talk about this film, His really his sole feature output. But just going to launch right into the first question for the group. Uh, what is your history? history with Don Hertzfeld, and I'm going to start with Tim. So I honestly don't have too much history with him. The only thing I had seen prior was the first episode of World of Tomorrow, which I did really enjoy that one. I just really liked the concept of uh, him just going around and recording things that his daughter was saying and then making a story out of it. Watching it, I just really enjoyed his animation style. Uh, I always enjoy more experimental kind of art. The robots are solar powered and must always be kept on the light side of the moon's surface. I programmed them to fear death and what lies on the dark side of the moon. It's getting dark outside. I've always wanted to watch more of his stuff, so when we put this movie on the schedule, I was excited to finally have uh, an opportunity to watch it. That's about all I have, so back to you, Ethan. That's totally understandable. It's interesting that you started sort of with his digital debut, because so much of his aesthetic is informed by that hand-drawn, paper-drawn, sort of very rough, crude animation, which is definitely there to a limited extent um, in, like, the character illustration in World of Tomorrow, but not that it's a bad place to start at all. I think it's it's a great film. It's just interesting that you'd start from there and not where where I imagine most people start with, which is uh, Rejected or uh, this feature. It's such a beautiful day. But moving on, Austin. What is your history with Don Hertzfeld? So I grew up with Flash cartoons, like a lot of guys my age. And eventually YouTube and video hosting websites came around shortly thereafter. One day in high school, my friend Chris showed me the series of shorts on YouTube called ASDF Movie. I baked you a pie. Oh boy, what flavor? Pie flavor. Their most memorable gag was a kid who gets himself and everybody around him hit with a train. In college, my friend Wade, who tried to show me Twin Peaks, would successfully get me to watch It's Such a Beautiful Day. After that, Pete Timmerman would screen Rejected to the intro to film history class I was in. My spoon is too big. I am a banana! Uh, Not soon after that came the moment that I realized, staring at a Wikipedia page, just how long ago Rejected had come out. So through that stumbling chain of events, I came to terms with how massively influential Don Hertzfeld had been on so much of the indie animation I'd seen since I hopped on the internet. It was kind of like discovering like Jodorowsky's influence on Art House or Stan Brakhage's influence on experimental films. Today, in preparation for this recording, I sat down and watched everything he's ever released. It made me deeply depressed, even though parts of it were extremely funny. His early films leading up to Rejected weren't my cup of tea, and even though I really respect the effort it took to put them together with his old equipment, they had something about him that I didn't like. What's that show called? You know, it's on Channel 4. You know that guy, that guy with the things? You know those things on his head? Mm. That show. 
Also, it was nice to see the last two episodes of World of Tomorrow after seven years of waiting. I'd still say It's Such a Beautiful Day is the best thing he's made so far, so I'm happy to be talking about it with you guys. Back to you, Ethan. Certainly, I agree with your assessment, <laughs> particularly um, regarding some of his earlier films. I have a level of artistic appreciation for them, again, considering the means under which they were made. I find their critical, the critical reception to them uh, to be a bit confusing, but I suppose at that time, considering the, the general conception of animation and what you could do with it, and the relative dearth of mainstream independent artists um, up to that point. It would be a bit more of a breath of fresh air uh, just to see these sort of weird takes that rely on not so much the stylization of uh, the likes of, say, Peter Chung or that sort of thing, like super visually intense or super uh, crass and crude in the, the Mike Judge fashion or the detailed grotesquerie of like a Plimpton short. There is something distinctive about them aesthetically, even if they maybe don't hold water outside of the rough concept. But uh, Simon, what is your overall history with Don Herzfeld? Pretty much, I I don't know, it was like in high school, I went to see like an Oscar nominated like short film screening in my hometown. That year they played Richard Williams' prologue and Don Hertzfeldt's The Meaning of Life. Like this, this is like the first time those were out and it was insane. Cause I liked animation at that point, but I didn't know I wanted to do it for a career. And seeing those two films, like the full extent of like what animation can be with like Richard Williams' prologue, this hyper real pencil drawings, such a like a grotesque, simple plot. And then immediately after that, Don Hertzfeldt's little stick figures talking about the most existential things on the planet was such a trip and like really compelled me to be like, wow, this this medium is something special. I didn't get much into Hertzfeld after that until I started going to Webster. And I think Sagavac showed us rejected for like one of the starts of our animation class. And I was like, I forgot about this guy. And I just went on a binge of all his stuff. I bought like all the DVDs I could that had his stuff on it and just did a deep, deep dive into Hertzfeld and some of that early MTV animation that that was part of his contemporaries work. I don't like animation. My head is now a giant egg. A lot of respect for the guy. He's he's one of the reasons why I'm in animation today. I think you showed me uh, the animation show intermission. Oh yeah, which is <laughs> still probably one of my like like favorite comic pieces. Even I would say I put it even above a rejected. Uh, it's very <laughs> deeply funny. I love the little cotton ball dudes to death. Yeah, and yeah, like the the prologue influence. I remember you doing like studies and that sort of thing of that in your sketchbook back then. Oh yeah, um, of that film. But yeah, what a what a juxtaposition <laughs> in terms of what you can do with the format. Both sort of yeah. hand drawn on paper, uh, but but very different visual. Yeah, no, uh, my overall history with Don Hertzfeld is, is not not too dissimilar to somewhere between Simon's and Austin's. Um, I'd seen rejected uh, bits and pieces of it for the longest time, um, you know, and just, you know, I am a banana sort of catching on as like an early internet meme, basically. But I, I didn't really watch any of his work until I'd seen rejected, because at that point I was pretty much thoroughly ingrained into like animation history stuff and anime pretty exclusively. So it was like golden age junk and, and the 90s had, had largely eluded me uh, by this point outside of like, I don't know, Beavis and Butt head. I, I don't know. I've just slowly but surely, I've never really gone on a like a binge of his work until today, really um, prepping for this, this <laughs> recording where I've, I've really dived into the, his larger body of work. Um, it's really interesting to see the artistic evolution of a single artist that's largely making their own work exclusively uh, and who has such complete control over their t artistic vision and has been for their entire adult life exclusively making films. Now, you might not like uh, all of the films, 
you might not like any of the films in the program. I, I think his work is, it wildly varies in, in quality sometimes, quality and tone, but I'll always have a certain amount of appreciation for it. He's very much in that same school of you know people like Bill Plimpton. Even, even when I don't think his stuff works, I'm just glad he's here and making stuff. He's cool. Um, <laughs> yep. And uh, he, was, he was definitely an influence on me and Simon, because um, Pepys was loosely the animated short film I made for one of my animation finals was based on Simon's story boards, which were, uh, that, that was Hertzfeld inspired. Very much, very much Hertzfeld inspired. Yeah, exactly. Like it was, I mean, it's basically just like you could just slap it and reject it and um, <laughs> it, it would, would work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh boy, I sure do love some peppers. It fixed my broken car. It fixed my broken child. So I, I think he's just a great well to pull from. But yeah, he's, he's an, a personal inspiration and someone who I think does a lot of cool things. Um, and this was actually my first time for this recording watching It's Such a Beautiful Day. I had not seen it prior to this. Oh. Um, it is a very interesting film and maybe my favorite of his works. But now moving into the meat of our discussion, the real subject we're here for, uh, and that is It's Such a Beautiful Day, which is, you know, a feature, but also sort of a compilation of three short films uh, subdivided by Adam. Everything will be okay. I'm so proud of you. And of course, It's Such a Beautiful Day, which were then combined into one feature in It's Such a Beautiful Day, released in 2012. Very much a labor of love on Hertzfeld's part. Um, his last work to be made in his traditional style, using pencil and paper and uh, the old 35mm camera. A very significant sort of artistic transitional step for him in a lot of ways. But let's get right into our thoughts. Austin. Do you want to give us your thoughts on It's Such a Beautiful Day? I don't know how voluntary his moving on to digital was because the motor on his animation machine, I don't know the word, but it'll be whatever it is is up here. Uh, it started breaking near the end of making this movie. And so there were like light leaks coming in that weren't intended to be there. His old tech finally gave out like just at the tail end of making this movie. I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> so uh, sometimes with movies, you've got to wait a while to get a potent vision moment that really resonates with you. Some examples from like commercially well-known movies that like mainstream people would know are like the ending of Logan, where the cross on Wolverine's grave is tilted to look like an X. Or the ending of Castaway, where Tom Hanks' tortured adventure leads him to a literal crossroads before it fades to black over his mystified face. The glory of It's Such a Beautiful Day is, through the medium of animation and the less conventional method of storytelling, it's just a long stream of these deeply relatable moments. He's able to fit in lots of, like, culture critiques and philosophy and this devastating character drama, but there's the added bonus that some of it is masked with his trademark absurdity. So there's, like, these nice moments of laughter that keep it from feeling like something too miserable, like a dancer in the dark kind of thing. At home, he makes toast, but changes his mind. The gradual reveal that Bill's story is set inside the real world, and he's just seeing it like an indie cartoon because his brain is being eaten by dementia, reminded me of something. There was the artist, uh, William Uttermollen from the UK, who got diagnosed with dementia in 1995. He decided to do a series of self-portraits to help express the effects of his mental deterioration to others. His last recognizable self-portrait that he ever made was called Head Eye, and it was painted in the year 2000. And you'll notice that he too felt reduced to simple shapes in black and white by the end of his journey with the disease. 
it's usually kind of hit or miss whether a piece of art can get through the armor that I built up over years of watching things and enjoying stories. But there's something especially haunting about dementia stories told from the point of view of the person with the disease. This is up there with everywhere at the end of time on my shelf of things that scare me more than horror movies do. Trying to capture reality slipping away from a person in any medium is a tremendous creative challenge. And when it's pulled off, it really makes you appreciate that you're alive and you still get to keep your memories. This movie is Hertzfeld's masterpiece. Back to you, Ethan. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that assessment. I think it uses the medium in such an effective way to depict uh, something that's difficult to really depict in film uh, and difficult for an audience to really grasp. It's, uh, it feels like one of the most true representations of that particular sort of mental degradation. He doesn't know what month it is, but he's aware he's in a hospital. He can't remember his address. He must have always lived here. And it's it's larger framing in the way it contextualizes it because it doesn't doesn't feel necessarily like a pity party or anything. It has the comic moments. It has the absurdity uh, that Hertzfeld is so well known for. Uh, at times, even feeling almost uh, stream of consciousness. But when it all comes together, it's it's a very cohesive whole, which is honestly a surprisingly difficult thing for animated features in general uh, to feel super cohesive. Sometimes they're a little loosey goosey uh, that comes with the levels of people working on them. Tim, what were your thoughts on the film? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything Austin is saying. It's a very good film at just making you feel this anxious emotion. Like, the whole movie's just giving me so much anxiety watching this character experience all of this and everything going on all at once. It reminds me a lot of just, like, any time I'm feeling like a lot of burnout, I feel like I'm stretching myself thin. The guy next to him at the bus stop had the head of a cow, but Bill Pert pretended not to notice. Everyone in the supermarket looked like some sort of demon. I do think like it helps to have those little moments of levity kind of breaking it up and then you get right back into it. Like every time uh, we go back into the Bill story, like it kind of starts slow and then gradually gets more and more uncomfortable. It like lulls you for a second, but then you're back into it. Like there's also just like these weird moments that like there's a lot of stuff that's just like really relatable. Like there's one moment towards the beginning that like reminded me of a conversation that I had with my girlfriend where he's talking to his ex-girlfriend about, about what they want to do when they die. And like I remember having a conversation where we talked about how like we both wanted to do eco burials and like that was something that we like related on. So it's just like this weird kind of tangential thing. But yeah, there's just so much just raw emotion going into this whole thing. Like the ending especially fucks me up because it spends this whole time making you so afraid of how limited the time we have here is and how fleeting everything can be and then like it kind of shows this like final vision of no he can't die and makes immortality even more frightening it's just like oh he's just, just living through everything and everything's dying around him including all of the stars it's very much a movie that makes you feel grateful for what you have while you have it and very scary uh <laughs> To finish up, uh, I think Morty said it best when he said, uh, everything sucks, we're all gonna die, go watch some TV. Nobody exists on purpose, nobody belongs anywhere, everybody's gonna die. Come watch TV! 
Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree, particularly with the juxtaposition between the comedy and the tragic element of it. I feel like it not only offers like levity, but it heightens the tragedy because it is like life. Like even within the context of the film, they briefly discuss um, when Bill's condition is sort of receding for a brief moment in time. That's the same thing you'd see um, with actual people going through dementia or any sort of uh, mental illness all, uh, like that, Alzheimer's, that sort of thing, or just sort of that ebb and flow adds to the mounting anxiety of it all. They concluded Bill was not going to die, so his mother had all the flowers removed from his room. She also had to have his casket returned at great expense and inconvenience. And I think it's it's super effective. And I think particularly, uh, yeah, like you were saying, the, the capper on it all, the, the narrator's denial, um, and just describing an even worse alternative scenario after all this is a, a good way to sort of balance things out. A different sort of nihilism, at least. The equal and opposite nihilism, uh, if not an optimistic <laughs> finale. Simon, uh, your thoughts on the film? I, I think John Hertzfeld's great at, at capturing very relatable, simple comedy when the main character was like, oh, like I, I grabbed fruit from the back because like people's balls are touching <laughs> the, the stuff at the front. Simple things like that. Or like he saw like some dead horses in the road and was wondering what that smell was. And he was like, oh, that describes the smell. And then just moves on. The checkout girl said, how are you doing today? Bill said, fine, thanks. How are you? She didn't answer. Bill felt used. Like these very relatable things that even you don't realize sometimes you're doing where like I'll be walking down the street and smell something and I'll be like, what is that? And I'll see like a dead bird or something. I'm like, oh, and then just move on with life. And somehow he turns that into comedy because nobody else really comments on those sorts of things. And I think that combined with the visceral uncanny nature where that comedy is so familiar and then suddenly there's like his grandma talking about throwing him out a window and like looking like a demon from hell, like that sudden visceral shift is incredibly disorienting and powerful. She'd often imagine how easily she could toss little Bill into the fireplace. I just found this film just such a good combination of those two things, that, that familiar and sudden unfamiliarity. And even even with that example you gave, like his interaction with his grandmother, where it starts off sort of dryly observational, shifting into this like sort of craven depiction of her as like um, an almost demonic figure, and then but the capper is it ends on a tragic note. Uh, it's that she was suffering from a tumor and it was a degenerative illness. Is really really effective. It's probably I don't know maybe the, just the driest humor that you've ever seen in in his work. It feels like <laughs> it feels like it's it's a big maturation from his his older stuff, which is by no means bad, but is very wacky. Um, very in a, in very a goofy and silly. My anus is bleeding! My, my overall thoughts on the film are, uh, it's good. Movie good, in point of fact. Uh, uh, but no, I, I think it, it very effectively depicts this sort of degenerative illness um, in its lead, uh, its combination of its simplistic visual style and its uh, gorgeous, weird use of visuals, its weird collaging stuff that it employs, uh, the visual style and the way it tells its narrative um, by these combination of very very observational remarks and really over-the-top comedy and just really distorted, very visceral moments. It's very abrasive towards the viewer. Intentionally so, I feel like it, it balances all these elements super well. Um, but 
Um, moving on, <laughs> something I can I can probably glom into a bit more too is uh, the film's visuals, which are obviously as distinct as its narrative and structure and tone. Let's start off with Simon on this one. Oh, the film's visuals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The very segmented visuals is something like he's never done that in really any of his other pieces. I feel the the meaning of life, they had a little bit of that, but that was more done through like abstract backgrounds where this film, like he cuts out little vignettes of what's going on. The one that always gets me because I, I feel like it was his technique so he could combine a lot of different animations and like he might not have had it fully planned out because there's the one that always gets me is the boxer being like his head splitting open on repeat and he's just looping that while he's having other things going on in the other vignettes. I think it's a pretty good technique especially for, for alienating the audience and giving us like a telescopic view like looking through a telescope and seeing just one thing because we're looking through his mind so we're only getting the the parsed window of reality he sees so i think it's quite effective for for what it means to to achieve how everyone's just little more than that frightened fragile brainstem surrounded by meat and physics afraid of decisions afraid of pain stuck in traffic listening to terrible music yeah yeah i would say so uh, completely i think um the the segmentation of space is a really great idea if only to fill the screen uh, particularly for something that is intended to be a feature. It can be hard to just kind of cram everything in, but this sort of almost comic panel way, uh, it reminds me of a lot of old like Japanese computer games and that sort of thing that would do that. Or even the, the Dazaki thing where he would uh, subdivide space in, in three panels. Got to bring up Dazaki every single time. <laughs> need, to get, need to get a counter started. No, I think um, it's very highly effective and, and particularly impressive considering the means under which it was made, largely with practical effects or digital pictures that were a photograph. He'd read once how each cell in the body replaces itself and dies as the years pass. How everyone is slowly reconstructed. His ridiculous ingrown cells had long ago stolen this happy dead kid's identity. But uh, yeah, moving on. Uh, Tim, what were your thoughts on the film's visuals? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the visuals. Um, there's a DVD I watched a couple of years ago. I think it was called um, The Collected Works of uh, Naoyuki Suji. And it was just like a collection of uh, surrealist charcoal animations and watching this just like watching the pencil hand-drawn animation uh, that reminded me of that in some places and yeah I really also enjoyed all the compositing that's going on I think that that really helped bring in that sort of anxious tone like you're seeing all these pictures going on all at once you're hearing all these noises going all at once and then sometimes there'll be like fire on the edges of the screen a very uh, chaotic uh, style of animation and like the way it kind of splices in with uh, the real world footage is also very interesting like it, it definitely reminded me of what I can remember of World of Tomorrow um, but it also like there was a, I think a lot more to it here um, and yeah, I think that it's it's real good. Yeah, I agree. Uh, like World of Tomorrow, despite being digital, like a lot of its its tricks are kind of like moving moving texture, like background textures and that sort of thing, and multi multiple layer stuff. And it's it's very pretty, um, but you don't see as much uh, use of like like live action stop motion composited into sequences and and tinting and, and the intentional use of like some of that light bleed stuff that you see um, in the images towards the end. Uh, there there is a sense of him using his uh, 
tools, sort of pushing them to their fullest after you know working with them for a decade plus at this point, uh, nearly 15 years. Very much him sort of at the, at the height of his powers, not having to adjust to a new tool set. But Austin, what are your thoughts on the film's visuals? His mixed media chops are just like bananas in this. It was cool and rejected when like the papers started eating the cartoons, but here it's a lot less like self-important. It's, it's a lot less, uh, I don't know, gimmicky isn't the word, but it's, they're used to convey these complicated textures. Like the old photographs of Bill's memories actually look properly vintage. I don't even know what, using a disposable camera? I don't even know how you pull that off. And the forms of light that pop in and out of like the rough moments actually feel like overwhelming synapse firings instead of just like double exposure of a fire. Uh, it's, it's always impressive also watching those doodle people mix into the live action plates like Tim was saying, that guy lifting up the real life phone with a stick figure hand must have been really difficult to execute. Uh, the fact that it's like these childlike doodles that are animated really competently works a lot in the context of the mental deterioration. Like this is real life, but through some absurd doodle filter. He also has difficulty distinguishing the faces of people he knows. All of these people really just look the same. And though he can recognize his ex-girlfriend because of her long hair, he can't remember her name. And the mixed media is like the real world, those old lost memories peeking in. On a conceptual level, it's just solid. And there's a lot of shots on the technical level where you just go, God damn, that's extremely impressive he pulled that off, like, photographically. Lots of crazy double exposures and stuff. Love the style. The photographic effects are particularly impressive, and I think the main comment I want to pull is that the segmentation of the frame reminds me particularly of not just of Japanese computer games, um, which is a weird pull, but um, uh, Osamu Tezuka's short film Mail from 1962. Its uh, use of very intentional subdivision of the frame to sort of play out a murder mystery, ostensibly, but all in the, in the name of limited animation, where the, the animation is more in camera movements and that sort of thing. I like it a lot. Uh, the main thing I wanted to point to outside of the camera effects is the character drawing. It's very much an evolution in style for Hertzfeld uh, in that he squished their pupils and made them ovals instead, and he got rid of the circles around the eye. It seems like such a simple shift, but his characters are so much more appealing. Uh, I think they're kind of more relatable as a result. They have Hello Kitty faces, basically, like the same like <laughs> like big round head with the same eyes. Basically the same character. Basically, yeah. You could, you could make a Bill Funko pop. Um, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and even just, you know, simplifying them for the sake of making animating them easier. Suddenly you don't have to draw an extra circle. You don't have to draw their mouth line every time because there's very little lip syncing um, and usually takes, uh, in his previous films, he takes a lot of pains. Like it's like the inverse of anime where everything about the character is low detail, but he puts a lot of effort into accurate lip sync in his older works. Um, <laughs> it sort of harkens back to the core appeal of like the very first animated shorts. There's like a phantasmagory quality of these characters. That is part of the reason I think people really glom on to Hertzfeld's work so much, is there's a wonderful simplicity to his work that makes it feel so accessible, uh, and it almost makes it feel like, I could do this. Like, like, I could make a cartoon like this, or like, just makes everything so much more approachable. You can see the seams, but in the best way possible, <laughs> kind of. It's like the, the Dragon Ball thing, where you look at it and it's like, this isn't that complicated, I could draw this, and then you find out how fucking hard it actually is. Yeah, yeah, you find out the nuts and bolts of it and everything, but 
yeah, there's something beautifully DIY about it in on some level um, with that collage quality uh, in particular. And I, I just love it. I, I think it's uh, probably the best looking of any of his films. <laughs> a good note to go out on. Now, after a brief break from our sponsors, um, we'll be right back with some general discussion on the film. Hi, guys. Tanner Richard Craft here. Austin tried to fire me on the Elvis podcast, but I'm here to tell you that I ain't fucking leaving. I've hijacked the signal to relay this message to you. Don't you worry, guys. You will be seeing me again on the... This is the ideal product for the suburban middle class American family. And we're back. Time to generally discuss the film. Does anybody have any other thoughts about the film? So the first appearance of Bill was actually in Rejected as the head tumor man. This movie has some like, uh, cause everybody remembers like my spoon is too big proto memes. Like remember before <laughs> it was like, images we'd like throw at each other instead of communicating, uh, stuff like that. It was just like really funny short lines in movies. This movie has a lot of those, like, uh, and once strangled a rock in a fit of religious excitement. That's just a very funny sentence all packaged up. She, she died of yellow fever and catching fire. <laughs> she died at the age of eight after contracting yellow fever and catching on fire. <laughs> he never lets a gag, like, no matter how perfect it is, run for too long. I think that's a huge part of it. Um, and he says the punchline right when he needs to. Um, he doesn't rush into it too quickly, which I think is a, something you can run into with animation when you're, you know, you're drawing all your drawings and you're like, I would have draw fewer drawings, which makes everything faster. But because of his, his particular visual style, I feel especially um, it's easier. I think a part of it, too, is Hertzfeld's mentioned in interviews that um, he doesn't really approach like animation he sort of sees as a means to an end he's very, it's very like jay ward productions frocky and bullwinkle kind of approach to animation like we're here to tell jokes not to make the cartoons look real real good hertzfeld still makes the <laughs> cartoons look real real good he just doesn't really aim to make the drawings look real real good of again almost like jay ward productions uh he has a very dry sense of humor much like those cartoons albeit maybe a bit more <laughs> tailored to the MTV generation. What I'm saying is Don Hertzfeld is basically Rocky and Bullwinkle for irony-poisoned 90s people. And I think that's great. <laughs> I think 90s people deserve that. His parents argued again that night and she threw meat. There's this short that came out on a recent Blu-ray release called On Memory, where it's just Hertzfeld talking about the effects of human memory and like how we forget about stuff. He talks about how you could like invent a new movie in your mind after not watching a movie for long enough. And, you know, your memory is like a game of telephone and shit gets all jumbled. And the imagery that they play over him talking about you in inventing a new movie in your mind and forgetting details of a movie was specifically from this film. And uh, when I rewatched it after watching On Memory, I was like, you know what? That's not fair. Uh, it, it is hard to remember specifically this film, except for the broad strokes, I think. 
because uh, it's just the way that it is all like fire hosed at you, uh, that this film is more susceptible to you over the years forgetting what the fuck happens in it outside of like guy gets dementia. I think that speaks to the, the strong parts of this film because it, I mean, it's incredibly experimental and it, it's means of conveying its narrative and what it wants you to feel. But I think it's much more of a, a visceral feeling is what you get from this feel, film rather than like a narrative. Like, you know, generally like Bill has some mental problem. He's losing his memories and him living forever isn't what actually happens. Maybe <laughs> you don't know, <laughs> but that's not really the point. Like the, the point isn't to be like, what's Bill's day to day life. The point is to feel what this man is feeling and have a, a, a sympathetic experience or an empathetic experience. He had come to know just one thing. You will only get older. The next thing you know, you're looking back instead of forward. And so it leaves you more with broad feelings and a broader understanding of like the human condition of memories, then it does leave you with like, oh, then this happened. Oh, then this. Oh, because that's that's the goal of this film rather than Hero's Journey or Bildung's Roman sort of story. Yeah, like as as much as uh, I don't want to use the term vibes movie, like <laughs> it, it, it definitely feels like that. Where it's like it's a lot more just experiencing the ride and uh, you know experiencing what the characters experience and kind of stepping in their shoes. When the brain is confronted with major memory loss, it often fills in the blanks with confabulated stories, people who never existed, invented conclusions to make everyday life less confusing. There's mention of a thing that in true detective season one is called M-Brain Theory. I don't know what it actually is called for smart people, but you know, the whole <laughs> time is a flat circle, everything's occurring all at once kind of thing. It illustrated with a collage of clouds moving in different directions. They do sort of have that non-linear Dr. Manhattan bullshit going on, where you know, the past and the present and the future all sort of merging. You know, you get to see Bill maybe die in a hospital surrounded by people he doesn't recognize. And just shortly after, you know, hearing some story about his uh, great uncle who was a forest man. Uh, it's it's nice that they incorporated <laughs> that. They, they really hit you on the head a couple of times. That thing about how all time is occurring to sort of signal to you that this is how the animation is working, the universe of like storytelling inside. And also the office worker saying, genetics is pretty messed up. And right after, you know, the, the big sentence that is the movie comes out, it immediately goes to him spitting gum out of his mouth at Bill. Just to sort of like, there's the point, there's some gum. <laughs> that kind of makes me think about like, sometimes I will have like stress dreams where I'm like trapped in sort of a similar situation where like I'm on my deathbed or I have like some kind of neurological condition that makes it so I can't live my life. Uh, like I'll, I'll have these visions of that. And like, am I really experiencing this in some version of my life? Like who, who even knows? Why do you guys think it begins with that live action footage of the trees? I always took from that, that this film, like just the name of the film, it's such a beautiful day. There is this wonderful appreciation for life. Even though like Bill's life is fucked up, he even has these moments of just wonderful, beautiful appreciation where it's like, wow, this exists. This is insane. I don't know. I think that's just one of those moments that they want to open the film with one of those moments where you can just look up at the trees and think, 
how wonderful it is to be alive and how beautiful the day is. You just got to be present to it. But then like it also kind of ends where it begins, where like he's looking up at a tree and uh, that's when you hear it's such a beautiful day. And that's like before it cuts to the whole immortality bit. Yeah, your guys' ideas are great. Uh, I think it's a POV shot, and the camera is meant to be his great uncle, the forest man. Um, no, I get mud and sticks. <laughs> a wild man wandered into town that summer and beat the church organist with a shovel. He ate mud and sticks and knew only how to say the word Bible. I think both of you guys have sort of hit the nail right on the head. That cyclical thing with its time theming and it's it being just a beautiful day uh, before we go into how gross uh, most days can be. But that, I think that's life, you know? A lot of days are pretty gross if you really get down to brass tacks and examine them, but it's about those, those nice moments. Even if you are going through such mental trauma, I don't know, people are still autonomous things doing what they do and the world is still being experienced and life still goes on and that can be beautiful. Yeah, if you want to talk about like just one of those really quiet, beautiful moments, because I feel like Bill's mom is used sort of as a source of comedy throughout most of the time we we see her like uh, sort of a neurotic figure um, in his life. But I feel like the the moment of of her death is is you know particularly impactful in the way it's framed it's when you get pause and then the the crack of the coffee cup but the moment where he finds the journal where she was practicing her handwriting uh, for his his notes oh that one that really just kind of tore my heartstrings um, in a big way uh, that was that was a really good small moment because that is that is the sort of thing you find someone uh, like my my great grandfather passed and just reading he had a fairly dry journals of just recording his day to day but you know just seeing things like his little comments about you you know or in my case me <laughs> being born or, or something like that or me coming over or something like that and it's like it, all the memories sort of come rushing back associated with that I think it's uh, just a really quiet beautiful moment that really helps ground the film love it the moment that got me the hardest was when he meets his father, because I was thinking for a lot of this film, uh, if you have a disease that you pass on to your children, there's that conflict where it's like, you want a part of you to live longer, but a sad fact of reality is there are people with these diseases that they do pass down. And uh, so, you know, that's sitting in the back of my head for such a long time. And the only thing he says to his father that we're aware of when they meet, meet up in that hospital is just, I forgive you. Because uh, he got to live life, you know, it's like it's ill advised that his dad and mom should have had a baby, but he got to experience the beautiful days and be alive in spite of his condition. There, There is one character in particular that I empathize with, and it is Bill's girlfriend's new boyfriend. That uh, moment where she mentions that when she was driving him home, uh, the experience caused him to break down and cry. That's me. Bill's experience caused me to break down and cry. So he's, he's really the perfect audience surrogate for those who maybe don't relate to Bill quite so much or just in general, because Bill's story is very effectively told. This is a good movie, yeah. uncontroversially. He wants to stop people in the street and say, isn't this amazing? Isn't everything amazing? I think it's, it's very difficult to portray mental health and mental illness in media and often Hollywood does not get it right. Um, <laughs> and so it's so great to see an artist tackling something so serious and he doesn't have to preface it with like, oh, like I wanted to be respectful or I had to do all this, but he just goes out there and gives an incredibly empathetic 
film that everybody watches and understands. I agree. And with that, I think that's just about time for us. Does anybody have any final thoughts about the film? Tim, do you want to start us off? I'm glad that I was able to finally uh, get around to this. I do want to go into more of uh, Hertzfeld's works. I've always been uh, curious about it. This is a very strong film that just uh, fills you with a very strong uh, emotional feeling. And I would definitely recommend checking it out. Um, Just be warned that you're going to feel real, real sad. Uh, Back to you. It is a film that makes you feel a lot of things. And uh, for me, as someone who just really likes movies that make me feel things, that's a good thing. Austin, overall thoughts on the film? It's kind of like seeing into a window, looking on a journey that nobody ever comes back from. And the fact that this is just one man's creativity on display is staggering. It's a perfect movie. Simon, final thoughts? There's a lot of films that I've watched when I was younger and I've grown out of. And there's very few films that like really stick with you. And every time you watch, you might gain something new because you've had new life experiences. And this one always delivers no matter when I from when I like watch it in high school to college to now at the end of my college career, it always delivers. And that's most of Hertzfeld's work. Wisdom Tooth, not for all people, <laughs> but a lot of other Don Hertzfeld's work, I can, it, it will leave everyone with a, a very stark and strong feeling. Agreed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my thoughts are, are much the same as my co-hosts. I think it's a really wonderful, singular, magical sort of film, especially in the realm of, of feature animation. Um, I mean, really feature films, gosh, let alone feature animation. Yeah. And I'm happy I had the opportunity to see it. Um, I'm happy that I've had the opportunity to just see the complete works of Don Hertzfeld, um, who's genuinely just one of the most interesting creatives, uh, doing a lot of really cool stuff. And I'm really glad that he he has the ability to do all this really interesting and cool stuff. He's delightful. He is the buckethead of, of animators, and that is a very cool thing. But speaking of cool things and cool creatives, uh, we're those. Um, so you should hit that like button, subscribe. Let us know if this movie made you cry. Uh, what do you think of Bill? What's your favorite Don Hertzfeld short? Be sure to take a looky-loo at our Patreon uh, to give us money, because we don't get much money from YouTube ads. And if you were watching this on Spotify video or listening on one of the other podcast platforms, we don't get any money from those. You should watch this on YouTube. <laughs> just just let it run in the background on loop. Uh, get a YouTube premium subscription because I think that gets us more money. I don't know. Uh, but definitely check out our stuff. Uh, Patreon especially. Please, Austin Starving. Go to bitterfilms.com and buy Blu-rays and DVDs to support Don Hertzfeld. Definitely. When while you're there, also go to Patreon.com because <laughs> our art is just as high quality as Don's. If you, if you subscribe to our Patreon, I will personally burn a copy of Bepis onto a DVD and send it to you. Uh, just give me your that's address. A, I'll pay for it. Sh- shipping sucks. That's the, that's the new tier. Yes. Bepis DVD. Bepis tier. And I will personally include a drawing of Batman. Royalties will not be going to Simon Cy Burdick. And join us next week for Nobuhiko Obayashi's classic cult horror film, Haozu. Hosted by me. It's going to be real fun. We all love Obayashi here. The better house horror film. (laughs) So see you then and take care. Very well.